On this episode of the Get Stoked Podcast, I had the privilege of sitting down and speaking with Matt Mitchell, the head coach of Grand Valley State University's football team. I picked his mind a little bit about what occurred last season and their incredible run to go into the playoffs, plus a look ahead from spring practice to summer ball and into September when the regular season begins. I also asked him about the NIL laws, his thoughts on the NFL draft, and you'll hear our full discussion right here on the Get Stoke Podcast. Here we go. On this episode of the Get Stoked Podcast, I am sitting down with the one and only Coach Matt Mitchell, the head coach of my alma mater, Grand Valley State. Coach Mitchell, it is an absolute pleasure to have you with me. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. So, Coach, uh, the first question I have to ask you is in regards to the NFL draft, which is tonight. And do you have any predictions on who may go number one overall to Jacksonville? Um, you know, I, I don't right now I'd say I'm rooting for, uh, Aiden Hutchinson to go two to the lions. <laughs> I think that would be pretty cool. Of course. Given the yeah. background at Michigan and, you know, playing a divine child and all that, you know, so if I have a little more loyalty to the state of Michigan than I do Jacksonville, I, I feel sometimes, uh, bad about, uh, the NFL draft to me. It's difficult as a college coach. Uh, you don't, Sunday's an extremely busy day for us, and so you'd just be kind of, I guess, maybe surprised that we don't we don't watch a lot of NFL and don't really get a chance to watch a lot of college football. So, like, all the sports, um, you know, you tend to try to follow because you're a fan. It feels like the NFL is the, the least of them all. I feel like I have more uh, information on golf and, like, NBA playoff uh, basketball just because of the fact of uh, when the seasons lie, we're not quite as busy. So, you know, I'll uh, – I'll be paying attention, um, you know, as they kind of come up and learning probably like everybody else as we go through it. That's a very, very good answer. And I have to say, I agree with you with Detroit trying to gun for Aiden Hutchinson. I think that'd be a great pickup as an edge for the Lions. And I really am interested to see what he does in the NFL after having such a stellar senior season at Michigan. For sure. And this this next question is a little more about you and about your career at Grand Valley and prior to that. And my first question to you, and this is in two parts, is how long have you been coaching? Um, well, overall, that is a really good question. Overall, I believe it's 26 years now I've been coaching. So when I got to play in college football, I uh, started at the high school route. And uh, rose to be a high school head coach, and then I jumped into college after that. And so I know from a college standpoint, it's been 22 years of college football coaching experience and 26 years um, overall. Wow, that is a very, that's a lot longer than I honestly thought. And then this next one is, I read up about your profile through the GV Athletics website, is, and that you were a defensive coordinator, if I remember correctly, for Grand Valley before you took the position as head coach. Yeah, that's accurate. So my first season at Grand Valley State was in 2004. So um, as most most uh, people know the name Brian Kelly, who's now the head coach at uh, Louisiana State University. Oh, Brian yeah. was the head coach here for 13 seasons and led Grand Valley to a national championship in 2003. At the completion of that season, 
Um, he got uh, the position at Central Michigan University, and Chuck Martin took over as the head coach. And I knew and had known Chuck Martin as a professional connection in the coaching world. And I was able to come in here. I got hired in January 2004. And uh, Spent time as a linebacker coach and defensive coordinator, six years with Chuck. And then um, Chuck left after uh, we went to the national championship game in 2009. And then I took over as the head coach um, after he had departed Grand Valley. Nice. I, I'm really happy to hear that you learned from Brian Kelly a little bit and were was able to be under his wing. And when you first became coach, do you remember coaching your first collegiate game at Grand Valley? And what was the experience like for you? Well, as a head coach, I do definitely remember that. Um, we opened with a nationally ranked uh, West Texas A&M. Um, we're able to get uh, that first victory in a really tough um, non-conference opener. We were down, actually, in the second quarter and then had put in a really strong second half. And I, yeah, you remember, obviously remember that first win. Um, and like I said, uh, those Texas teams are always really, really good. And so it felt good mm -hmm. to get off to that start i think you know you look back now um i think i have i don't know 100 and some odd wins at this point now and you kind of look back and um if i knew now what i knew then <laughs> type situation but i think anytime you do something for the first time you continue to learn and grow and uh we made it to the playoffs in the first year obviously there was a strong culture of a pro program that had been in place from chuck martin and so um was fortunate to kind of take over there didn't have to really um kind of reboot everything. I think there was a lot of continuity uh, taken over as an assistant. I think that definitely helped with the transition. Well, great. Yeah, that's incredible. And how was the feeling after getting that first win and having hear the news that you've be, been hired? What was that initial feeling when they first told you? Um, you know, the process of uh, going through the, the selection to become the head coach of Grand Valley, it was uh, – so, you know, it was stressful a little bit, I think, for some perspective, you know, Chuck had left the head coaching job here to be an assistant. And so for all of us assistants, um, you know, I was the most qualified assistant, but I had a lot of other guys that I worked with or assistant coaches. And there was a little bit of stress by everyone because, um, you know, if we'd just been to a national championship game. But if I didn't receive the position, we'd probably all be looking for, for new jobs, which is kind of an interesting dynamic just you have a great season you might be looking for a job so I think I felt a little bit of um you know weight uh, there was a little bit of gravity it wasn't just about I guess me there was some other people including players and coaches that I think were all kind of pulling for me and so I felt that a little bit as I went through the process and it was a uh, you know I think there was they wanted to make sure they made the right decision it wasn't the keys weren't just handed over it was a very uh, lengthy process the interview you know took over the course of two days and met with a lot of different entities on and off campus including alumni groups and some different things and so um you know it's that that search anytime you're up for a job it, it can be exhilarating because of the possibilities of um your future career but i think everybody's probably gone through an intense interview also realized too there's a little bit of preparation and a little bit of uh anxiety as you go through that process also nice that's i feel like it's a very good answer great uh great response i really appreciate you telling me that and now for the next few questions, I'd like to transition over to the team and a little bit of last season and looking ahead at this upcoming season. So my next question for you is, with players like Cade Peterson returning at starting quarterback, how confident are you about going into this upcoming season with unfinished business, such as uh, unfortunately losing to Ferris State and again in, to them in the playoffs? Yep. 
you know, I think uh, when you take a look back at the 2021 season, um, there was definitely a lot of positives that came out of that in regards to, uh, you know, a 10-win season. I think in the 50 years of Grand Valley football, there's only been like 13 or 14 of those. We're able to get a 10-win season, advance to the second-round playoffs, win a playoff game. But certainly, um, you know, disappointed that uh, we did not win the GLIAC championship and uh, disappointed that we were not able to advance in both of those uh, games that allowed us to not do that were against a rival, and a rival ended up winning a national championship. So, uh, you know, as, as we kind of look forward, I think we build on some of the things we did last year, but we're not satisfied uh, with the season. I think that we want to uh, push for uh, higher achievements. And, uh, you know, as I told the team, the fact that Ferris won the national championship, it's, uh, I think it provides, uh, for me, it's a positive from the standpoint of it provides a great benchmark for the standard of, preparation and play you need to compete at the mm-hmm. highest level i really feel like last year just a landscape of division two football when you take a look at things we we're probably a, easily a top 10 team if not a top five team and uh, one of the best teams in the nation the best team in the nation is in our conference and in our region and so uh that's cool it provides a benchmark and know where we got to get uh, we have a tremendous uh, tremendous amount of players that are back i think even before i talk about the players i'm excited that our coaching staff is back uh, we're completely new on the offensive side of the ball, four new guys on the offensive side of the ball working together for the first time. And I think that the off season and spring ball has provided uh, opportunity for us to become closer as a coaching staff and gel. So as of the recording of this podcast, I haven't lost any uh, coaches heading into the 2022 season. So that's a huge positive for me as the head coach. And then we take a look at number of returning players that we have um, on both sides of the ball. It's uh, exciting. Obviously you start with uh, the quarterback position, um, Cade Peterson last year, you know, threw for over 2,000 yards and almost rushed for 1,000 yards, was an all-conference player as a sophomore in his first full-time starting season. And so I think anybody would feel good if you're a football coach when you have that type of experience at that position that's returning as a good basis point to kind of build and grow off of. And we have a lot of other players um, that are coming back too, and you infuse that with some transfers and some young talent. Um, we're excited about 2022. It's going to be one of the most difficult schedules in the history of Grand Valley State football of uh, the, the teams that made the final four. Uh, we're going to play two of them, one being Colorado School of Mines in the opener and the second one being Fair State in week seven. And so um, our strength of schedule from an NCAA metric standpoint will be through the roof given our non-conference games in conjunction with our conference games. And But it's a type of schedule that uh, will prepare you and uh, for postseason play if you handle it the right way and attack it the right way. And I think it's a really good schedule, too, because it allows you to have some great numbers, which uh, when NCAA playoff selection time, a lot of those numbers really matter when it comes to seeding and hosting home field games. Absolutely. I recall this past season, I witnessed some of those games myself, uh, whether that's through the GVSN network or on in the stands. And one, though, I went to the last home game, I believe it was against Davenport, for the season closer before Grand Valley went into the playoffs. It was a phenomenal performance by Grand Valley, just a solidifying statement saying, hey, we're ready for the playoffs. We're ready to contend with whoever we face, and we're not afraid of anything. And that was a very clear message in my mind as a fan, as an alumni, and as a former marching Laker, as I (laughs) cheered from the stands for three seasons before COVID unfortunately halted the last season. And from from a marching band uh, standpoint, that was phenomenal just to watch the team play in, especially in a premier stadium and program like Grand Valley in Division Two, and it was just absolutely phenomenal. 
Yeah, that was the unique, the unique thing about the 21 season. Our average margin of victory for everybody but Ferris State was 44 to 17. And so we were very successful in a lot of those other games. Um, and again, that's why uh, the disappointing losses to them, um, we that's keeping us really hungry. But I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater because you take a look at the other uh, 10 games we played. We were, uh, we were very successful in those other contests. Absolutely. And Grand Valley deservedly should have been a top five team in my mind. And maybe they didn't say that in the national polls, maybe a top 10 team, but Grand Valley and with you as their head coach definitely showed everyone that you had the potential of being a top five team. And with this next question, it, it goes around the Ferris state game at home where GV broke their own record for most of fan, most fans in attendance with 17,007 fans. And when I was watching this, on the east side on online, it looked like a very large crowd. It looked like an electric crowd. It did not look like Lubber Stadium at all. It looked like a Division One college football game. What was it like, especially against the tough opponent and then eventual national champion Ferris State? Yeah, it was an awesome atmosphere. You know, I give a lot of credit to um, everybody that came out. And then, you know, our game operations, game management, I mean, that is a, quite an endeavor to pull off that. And that's one of our largest campus events. So really uh, unique, very unique atmosphere for NCAA Division II and obviously fueled by uh, Grand Valley State. We've always had a great history and tradition of people come out and support the team. It's uh, our home games. We've led the nation in attendance for multiple years. And then you have the rivalry and, um, you know, Ferris was uh, nationally ranked. We were nationally ranked. Both of us were ranked, ranked really high, really big implications nationally. So, you know, obviously for me, it was an um, awesome atmosphere, very thankful, disappointing, uh, lost 28-21, uh, frustrating game uh, from a coach. You know, we turned the ball over um, in the red zone, a couple opportunities, uh, you know, where the literally we threw a pick in the end zone and fumbled uh, heading into the end zone. And, uh, you know, kind of frustrating because offensively, you look back at the game, we did not punt one time. Um, we were very effective offensively against a stout defense, just uh, too many turnovers. And then, you know, defensively, it was uh, the tail of third down. And that was also the first game that Jared Barnhart had come back after having, I believe, four games off. And, um, you know, so we had seen a little bit of them on tape, but not a lot. And I really think you saw in the playoff stretch against us and against Northwest Missouri State and against Valdosta how explosive an athlete was. And so, you know, that us not being great on third down, he kind of caught us off guard a little bit because we had not seen a lot of him on tape. And he was a tremendous athlete, a lacrosse star. I think those are the things, and offensively the turnovers and that. So, to get back to your original question, um, you know, it's disappointing. I feel like uh, we were there and just uh, would have been awesome to be able to cap off all that excitement and energy with the home stadium with a win for Grand Valley. But we we, we came up short, coaches and players in that contest, and so that, that keeps you hungry. That keeps you motivated moving into the next season. Well, absolutely, and I'm excited to see what you and the team are able to do this upcoming season. And one of the plays uh, – that sticks out in my mind is like you mentioned the fumble fumble at the goal line with Tariq Reed punching it in, crossing the goal line and the referees called it a fumble, even though he crossed the the goal line and having Ferris return it back for 99 yards. And of course there is no replay in division two. But did you have any initial reaction when you may have thought it was a touchdown, but it was ultimately in favor of fair state? Yeah, I mean, on the sideline, I obviously, um, from my vantage point, which I 
you know, don't have as good a vantage point as officials did at that point in time. But I felt it just felt like, you know, coaching football for 22 years that the ball did cross. And I was, you know, we had some guys, our players putting their arms up and play, you know, play kind of stopped. I think the reason the play stopped for our players a little bit was because the assumption they thought the ball was across the goal line. So that's why maybe didn't see as much pursuit to try to get the guy. And, you know, you've probably, you're a football fan. You've seen those moments where guy picks up and he's running back and everybody's kind of looking around. Is this good? <laughs> it's not good. And they ran it back and they called it a touchdown. So, you know, that is, um, that's a nature division too. I can't change that. I can't control that. Um, there's not enough stadiums across America in Division Two that have the resources, the cameras, that broadcast games like we do to institute, you know, replay. So it's not mm-hmm. ever going to happen in Division Two. The best we've done is to have it um, happen in the semifinals in the national championship because those games are broadcast on the ESPN networks. That you can get those things, you know, when in those situations. So, you know, it was. Um, it was also for me tough to tell um the next day on tape too because a little bit of our camera angles that we have we have a wide shot and a tight shot we don't have anything down the down the goal line so you know but at the flip side like i don't you know we can't i can't control that i mean my focus as a coach we try to preach to our players is control what you can control i can't control the officiating mm-hmm. um you know i would say this like we could have controlled something in that specific situation in a monitor of grand valley football is at the end of the play get up with the football and hand it to the official. If you get up with the football and you hand it to the official, then there can really be no, um, no judgment calls by them down, not down catch, not catch um, sack fumble, not sack fumble was, you know, those things. Like if you're a ball handler for grand Valley's offense, uh, talk about in fall camp. And it's what we say, like at the end of the play, you need to get up and hand the ball, to the official, there can never be any argument if you did that. And we did not do that on that play. And that is one thing that we can't control. So, um, that is a long-winded answer to your question, but I think it's fair to be very thorough about the situation. And I'm not, this is not an indictment on the officials. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things happening with 22 players on the field and stuff happening very fast. And, uh, there, like most coaches will also tell you too, um, there's a lot of other plays in that game too, but that was a very costly one because at that point we were down 14 to seven. I think there was about a minute 50 on the clock, had a chance to go uh, 14, 14 into halftime. And you look up and it's 21 to seven instead of being 14, 14. So, um, of all the plays in the game, that was obviously uh, one of the most critical uh, with a seven-point loss. One of the most critical plays in the game is a 14-point swing. Of course. And going along with your answer, of course, the referees are human. They make mistakes, even though we as fans or even the sideline believe, oh, they should make every call correctly every time. They're not going to do that. And you see that from basketball to football, even sometimes tennis in the in the Grand Slam tournaments. And there's not an exception in this game either where it looked like on camera his his knee was down or the he crossed the goal line with the football in his hands. And you just sometimes it's it's tough to try to go along with it, saying, hey, he made an incorrect call. But at the end of the day, he's human. And like you just said, you have to control what you can control. Yeah, and I would say, too, as a bigger picture point, backing up what you said, you know, I th- you look across all sports in America right now, we have a, a huge shortage in officiating. Um, some of the best officials that we've had within the GLIAC and Division Two are, are moving up constantly, whether it's to the MAC. And I've seen a lot of guys here when I flip on Big Ten games here in the offseason, I see familiar faces that officiated Grand Valley games not just five, six years ago. And so, you know, uh, that's an issue. Uh, we need more qualified 
uh, more experienced officials. And I try to encourage all my players when they're done with their eligibility, when they're finishing up, as they're starting to head into their professional career paths, um, it's a great way to stay connected with the game. And I would even say anybody listening, you know, starting at the high school level, um, they need officials. And if you enjoy football, like being around football, um, there's a path to get going quickly through some easy training and you will rise if you're good. If you're competent at officiating, if you're good at your job, like most things else, you'll rise quickly and you'd be surprised how quickly you can rise. And so I think it's a great way to stay engaged with the game. It's not going to take a ton of time away from your family. You're looking at some Fridays and Saturday nights. The compensation is getting better because of the need. It can be a nice little side job, a little side hustle at, uh, if you enjoy football, is not really even working in my opinion. It's being around the game and, uh, you know, being a part of it without having to put maybe all the time and effort into being a coach uh, would be if you wanted to be still stay connected with the game. Absolutely. And I have considered it at one point, and I still might even consider it, even though I'm 23 out of college and I still need some experience along the way. But I have a few friends and college classmates of mine that have said, hey, they've experience in maybe some Little League or Pop Warner games, and they they want to try to go that way. And then there are other players and classmates that I've known said, hey, I want to go in the coaching realm and see how that goes and either either way it's a very unique perspective whether you're officiating or coaching either way it's a very unique experience just to be involved in the game in any way you can for sure and with this next question I'm going to try to reverse it from coaching and officiating and well actually take that back it's going to go more towards coaching and with you and recruiting and all that and my Again, this is another two-parter. And how is the incoming class looking for next season for Grand Valley? I mean, I think it was strong as a smaller class uh, because of our roster size. Um, you know, we, we only had nine seniors on the 2021 roster. I think the pandemic has kind of uh, provided some challenges. Instead of having, you know, a redshirt class and then four other classes, we actually have like six classes. Oh, wow. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, because of just the fact we had a whole year without competition. So everybody was – you know, we still were bringing recruits in. We didn't stop that, but guys didn't use a year of eligibility. And so there's been, and I think the other thing too, I don't have a lot of kids going the transfer portal or quit or leave. I think they have a lot of value in being our program in Grand Valley education. So we had a smaller class, but we really focused on, you know, some talent. I, you know, one thing where we did have a little bit more depth was the offensive line. I mean, it's just been my experience that with the transfer portal now, um, it's just much more difficult. You can find some skill players in the portal. It's much more difficult to find a alignment and, Offensive line and interior defensive line is where we sign more guys. Our positions where you need to recruit those guys that are talented players, but they have to grow and develop. It's very difficult to play O-line and interior D-line as a true freshman. You're lining up against 22-year-old men, mm -hmm. um, and they are six, six inches across from you. And so you have to develop physically and mentally, and there's a lot more development that goes into that. So we signed a, a bigger class, and that wasn't because, oh, we're, you know, we're – um, not in good shape at O line. Now we got we got a lot of guys back at that position. But my my mantra has been that we're 12 miles from Lake Michigan. There's going to be some bad weather, and we got to be able to control the line of scrimmage. And um, you need really quality guys up front. So we took 10 offensive linemen, which guys you know were shaking their head at me a little bit on. But I was like, if I find quality ones in our recruiting footprint in the region that we put boots on the ground, I'm going to take them um, because I just know the value of of winning up front on O line D line. Absolutely. That's a great perspective. And kind of going along with the incoming class and with spring ball now concluding, I believe, and now you're transitioning into summer ball. 
Is there anyone on your roster that has impressed you thus far in practice that you think may stand out this upcoming season? Sure. If you had to uh, ask me to pick a couple names, you know, we have a we have a receiver out of Ohio named Jade Walker, who is absolutely electric in the 15 practices. I think that that'll be a name if he stays healthy. <clears throat> that'll really, in my opinion, burst onto the scene. A lot of Laker fans will know, you know, quite a bit about. I mean, that would be one guy on that side of the ball. Uh, defensively, um, we are going to be improved in the secondary. I think one of the reasons is we have some young talent, um, especially at the corner positions. We've had some really have redshirt freshmen and two true freshmen that will, um, you know, when I say true freshmen, they're with us this year. So we're talking about a redshirt sophomore, redshirt freshman next year. Um, Therese Reed from Indianapolis, Devin Pringle from the Chicagoland area, and then Grant Hart um, from the east side of the state in Gross Point. Those are guys that, um, you know, I think we have to replace some corners because we had two senior corners last year. And so those guys have done a really good job in spring ball. We've had some really quality matchups at receiver and, and DB. We have a lot of receivers returning. Um, Daryl Johnson played as a freshman. Um, Cody Tierney uh, had a lot of receptions as a freshman. Kyle Knott, who's a two-sport athlete playing baseball, um, played big. And, you know, so I think that's one thing. We had some good young talent receiver last year. And um, those guys have gotten a year more of experience. And we've also gotten some good young talent at DB. So I think that's an area on our football team where I think Laker fans will see um, some uh, better athletes to be transparent. Some guys making some plays would be both at the corner position and at the, at the wideout position. Great. I'm excited to see what they can do in the field. And uh, speaking about your players and now with the incoming NIL laws that are rapidly going around the country, is that in any way affecting Grand Valley at all at the Division Two level? Well, yeah, I think the two things that are, um, you know, things are changing rapidly be the transfer portal. Um, so for us, you know, we've Valley has had a history of taking some transfers. Um, Colin Finnerty was a transfer from University of Toledo, and I could go through the history and tradition of this program. There's been some quality transfers. Keontae Marshall, one of our most dominant D linemen, came from Hawaii. I mean, I could go through them all. So we keep our eyes and ears open for the transfers. So that's one area that's really changed. It used to be when guys transferred, they just contacted institutions and it just, you know, they transferred. Now when they put the name in the portal, it is much, much, much more competitive. Everybody knows when somebody's leaving an institution and it really makes it more competitive. We are starting to get into name and image likeness. Um, you know, we are not at the level that an FBS program like Michigan or Michigan State would be in regards to some of the compensation pieces. But we are looking, you know, providing opportunity. A couple of our guys have been able to get um, some swap out deals, whether it's, um, you know, posting about a place that cuts hair on their Instagram account and getting a free haircut once in a while, which was never allowed under previous NCAA rules. We're starting to get that. I do think that's an area of growth for a program. Um, I'm not allowed to facilitate those. That's against the NCAA rules. As a coach, you cannot facilitate those deals. But we are providing a platform for our student athletes called Influencer, which allows them to connect with some people and potentially start to uh, capitalize off of their name and image. So is it going to be at the level of uh, Big Ten? Of course not. Um, but we are we are doing a good job with an athletic department and within our program of trying to find avenues where we can point guys in the right direction to get the resources they need to potentially do that. So that is a landscape. I do not use it in recruiting. I think it's disingenuous in recruiting to try to promise anything that way uh, because, again, I cannot facilitate it. It is not under my control. Uh, we talk about there's opportunities, but we don't ever promise anything. I think any program is really promising things right now. I think it's just trying to capitalize on the fact that it's new and it's kind of fresh and recruiting, but I think it's disingenuous. And so we talk about it, but we don't promise anything. 
Okay. Yeah, I actually did not know any of that about Grand Valley, so that's really good to actually know this and uh, for future reference, of course, as it continues to grow as players are looking for maybe a little bit more compensation and whatnot and, like you said, other avenues to get the resources that they need. So I I think it's a very useful tool, like you said, influencer, to get players to, I guess – go along with the new nil laws as they continue to come out yeah it's uh it's changing like you know it's a lot of stuff's changing with student athletes um and also conferences and you know there's going to be the ncaa is going through a reconstitution phase where all the different levels are taking a look at their rules and bylaws and mm-hmm. you know i think as we sit here in 2022 i think things are going to look you know they are going to look quite a bit different if you look five to ten years down the road it's not going to be the same and um you know nca or big ten or GLIAC that you kind of grew up with. I think there's change and, you know, our responsibility is leaderships, uh, leadership positions is to try to make sure we position our programs and our athletic departments to be in the, the right situation. That's best for this university. Of course. And I'm sure you wouldn't have it any other way. And, and then going on to one more question for you, it's going to go towards one of your coaching staff members, uh, specifically coach Roundtree, who, you know, played at Michigan for a while had a stellar career there. And how has his hire last season brought a lot of change and how has it improved the receivers that he's coaching and improved this offense for you? Yeah, I think there's really two main fronts. I mean, first, it's not not the only reason we hired him, but from a recruiting standpoint, there definitely has been an impact. And you can talk about a guy that's top five in receiving at the University of Michigan and played in the NFL. Um, definitely brings a lot of credibility when we're talking to recruits that he's going to be able to uh, help guide them and help mold them into being the best they can be. So that's one thing I think. And, and then the second piece is he's a really good coach. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. a great uh, tool bag of different techniques that he can use based on not only his playing experience, but also now his coaching experience being at the university of Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis. You can tell I learned a lot with that experience. So whether it's releases techniques and fundamentals at the top end of routes and also some blocking and just some different things. I think I've really seen him bring a lot to our players in regards to that. And also um, the youthful energy, um, just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of bounce, a lot of energy, a lot of, a lot of juice. Um, you need that, you know, as I continue to uh, get up there in age a little bit, I think it's important that you offset your coaching staff and you have different personality types, you have different backgrounds um, I always strive to have diversity on my coaching staff because I know we need to meet kids where they are. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so he brings, um, he grew up in Dayton, Ohio. So he's got those connections. I don't have those, you know, he played at the highest level and I don't, and I have more experience than he, it's just one of those things. Like when you have a coaching staff, you don't want everybody to be the same. You want people with different backgrounds and different types of energy levels and different types of people. And I think that's uh, better needs meets the name needs of a team because I have 120 guys that are all very different where they came from and who they are. And there's a lot of different diversities that we have. And so I need to try to make sure that I find connection points and people that can reach people that um, some coaches have better connection points than others with guys. Of course. Yeah. And like you said, he brings a lot to the table with his tool bag. And I remember when I was younger, specifically against Notre Dame in an under the lights game, it was a sellout crowd uh, making that fantastic catch to win the game for Michigan and I feel like in a recruit's mind, if you have a coach like that who's been on the big stage or the biggest of big stages, uh, that's someone you would want to be coached by. 
and I'm sure that gives you a nice advantage for recruits. It does. Yeah, it definitely does. Name recognition, both here in the state of Michigan and Ohio. And, you know, I'm a realist from the standpoint of, uh, you know, I feel like I'm doing a good job at a head coach. If our players are able to graduate and move on professionally and find highly successful careers, not just in football, but in life. And I also feel like, I'm, you know, part of my responsibility is my assistant coaches have opportunities to, uh, you know, grow professionally and move on when they find better opportunities. And so, you know, I don't know um, how long I'll have Coach Roundtree. I think he's a rising star in this profession. I'm going to um, hopefully have him as long as I can. I don't want to lose him, but I'm also a realist. And part of my job is to provide um, a platform by our team having a lot of success that maybe he would have an opportunity to make a little bit more money and move up in the profession, whether it's as a coordinator or a higher level of coaching. Um, and I would anticipate him along with a couple other guys I got on staff that those opportunities are going to come. Of course, and – if they do happen to go on to a different position, I wish them nothing but the best. But, of course, utilize them while you have them. For sure. And we will find other good coaches. We're Grand Valley State. Of course, yeah, you're Grand Valley. And I'm going to end with this question. It does not have to do with football in any way. I just thought I'd throw this out for fun. Uh, but if you could go into any other profession other than football or sports in general, what would it be? So I think my skill set lies in leading people, um, leading groups of uh, people and really having the vision, the communication um, moving forward. So I, you know, again, like you can't just drop in to be a CEO of a, a company, but I would say it would either be uh, leading an organization um, or uh, education. You know, I think at the, at the heart of it, coaching is teaching. Um, it's a different subject matter. You're doing something different, but we're educating. We're educating 18 to 22 year old men, both on and off the field. And I think that my background is in education. Um, was, you know, my undergraduate degree is in education and biology and was uh, a teacher and a coach straight out of college. And so I think there's a reason that I've risen in this profession because I can't educate, I can't connect, I can't teach. So it would be something um, that would be a people oriented profession, um, connecting with people, uh, not something that is technical um not something that is actuary dealing with numbers those type of things you know i i think that's my skill set and i um you know i my bucket gets feel filled from meeting people and in those interpersonal connections and so in order to fulfill things and have that energy i would have to do that i would not be able to sit in a cubicle i'm not d dismissing <laughs> that different people have different skill sets but that's not where mine's gonna lie so it hard to put down one specific thing but it would be people oriented it would be in a position of leadership and education of course. That, I feel like that would be very fitting for you in any area of profession that you would have chosen to go in. But I believe head coaching and sports is definitely your avenue. And you, from a fan of yours and a fan of GV Athletics, I believe you've done a phenomenal job. I appreciate that. I um, still have more to achieve. Of course, um, yeah. Not yeah. Not satisfied, but, you know, it's – um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm second all time in winning percentage behind Chuck Martin. I'm ahead of Brian Kelly. Um, Chuck's going to be tough to beat <laughs> just based on his career record, but second in all time wins behind Brian Kelly. And that's definitely one thing that, uh, I think, you know, being 13 wins away that I'm looking at, but you know, I, the thing those guys don't have the thing that those guys have that I do not have, I've got final four appearances and I have conference championships. I don't have that, you know, ultimate feather in the cap with the national championship. So I do feel unfulfilled and we are striving uh, to do that. That's always something we're on. So I don't never complacent about where we're at. I'm not satisfied with things. I mean, it's a good foundation, but we're always reaching and growing. And so that's my mindset is 
Uh, I don't, you know, I don't look too far ahead. I'm trying to take things day by day, but I do feel really good about this team in 2022 and the future. And I don't know that I'll ever be really satisfied until we reach that pinnacle. Of course, of course. And I hope to be there on the sidelines, in the stands or in the booth, hopefully when you get there. And Coach Mitchell, I'd just like to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I greatly appreciate it. And you are always more than welcome to hop back onto this podcast whenever you really want to. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And I hope to speak with you again soon. I hope to watch some more Grand Valley games this upcoming season from the from the stands. And best of luck to you and the team this upcoming season. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate your preparation. I've been on a few of these. You're very you know, prepared, I think. And thanks for your association to Grand Valley State. It's a place especially, you know that. Love working here. I'm not an alum. You are, but I love working here. It's a great place. I know you're trying to reach more than just Grand Valley people, but of course, yeah. I just want to get the word out that this is, a, this is a special place. So thank you for this format. You're welcome, and anchor up. Anchor up. I'd like to thank Coach Mitchell again for taking the time out of his busy schedule to sit down with me and give me some insight on what it's like being the head coach of a Division II powerhouse program like Grand Valley State University. He does a tremendous job coaching, facilitating, and helping train his players for the upcoming season as they transition into summer practices and workouts. I know they'll have a long summer ahead of them as they prepare for the 2022 season, and I wish them nothing but the best as they try to go back to the playoffs and eventually the national championship. I am calling it right now. You've heard it here first that Grand Valley State will be national champions at the end of this year. I am calling it. I feel very confident about this, and I have a very good feeling about this program. You can follow Grand Valley Athletics on the Grand Valley Sports Network on 97LAV on the iHeartRadio app or on the local stations here in Grand Rapids, or you can go to gvsuathletics.com. That will do it for me on this episode of the Get Stuck Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And on Tuesday, we will be covering the NFL Draft as yesterday, Detroit picked number two, Aiden Hutchinson, and Coach Mitchell got that prediction right. I am very impressed that he did, but I had no doubt in my mind that Aiden Hutchinson will stay home. Trayvon Walker went number one, and I'll break down the rest of the top picks on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you then.